now for your feature presentation. One, or two, or three, or four, five, or five. Hello and welcome to the Force 5 Podcast, the show where I force my guest to come up with a movie-themed top five list and then we reveal our picks on air. I'm your host, ex-video store clerk, wannabe screenwriter, and fellow listener, Jason Kleberg, and happy 4th of July if you're listening to this airing on the 4th of July. For listeners not in the United States, we've celebrated 4th of July since 1994 to commemorate one of cinema's biggest blockbusters, Independence Day, a film in which Will Smith and Bill Pullman saved the planet from aliens. So, yeah, today's kind of a big deal. You know what else is a big deal? My guest today, Devon Taylor from the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club. He's going to be joining me for an awesome topic. Top five heist films. First up, though, last show was all about films that made you think the sheer audacity of these filmmakers. And we got some great recommendations, question mark, from some good people around this rotten globe. Over on Twitter, Cassidy Robinson said, If you come to mind, Pink Flamingos, The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover. Yeah, that one, definitely. And Dogville. Jen from Every Rom-Com, who was just on a couple weeks ago, said um, Short Bus by John Cameron Mitchell, which I have not seen but have heard about. And yeah, that would definitely fit in on this list. The New World Pictures podcast at The New World Pod said, Seems like an obvious choice, but the remake of Psycho comes to mind. Most definitely. Over on the Cinematics Facebook page, Bruce Perky chimed in with Dashcam and The Day the Clown Cried. The Day the Clown Cried probably would have made my list had I seen it. I don't know that anybody's been able to see that one, but just the description alone is, yikes. And Dashcam, I've heard a lot about that one. That's probably a film that I will never see based on its uh, pretty terrible protagonist. Pete from Middle Class Film Class said The Lion King, uh, adding that to the list, the uh, basically the remake of Kimba the White Lion. And Joseph Bridges had a couple of suggestions here. My Winnipeg, when the city employed Guy Madden to make a documentary about his hometown, I'm pretty sure this is not what they were expecting. I am really intrigued about that one. I have not seen that or heard of that before. And then another intriguing one that he mentioned was Operation Avalanche. The directors could not afford to get the permission of NASA, and NASA would have said no anyway, so they just decided to film all the scenes they needed while taking tours of the facility in Houston and conveniently lagging behind and capturing what they needed. That sounds awesome. Again, if you want to talk with me about your picks for any of these list topics, you can find me on Twitter at Force5Pod, on Instagram at Force5Podcast, and on the Cinematics Facebook page. So I will see you there. I also saw two things this week. Now, I did see... Doctor Strange, and the Multiverse of Madness. And that review is going to be at the end of the episode because it's going to have spoilers. So if you've seen it or have no interest in seeing it and want to know my thoughts or you just don't care about spoilers, uh, stay tuned after Devon Taylor and my review will be at the end. The other thing I saw that I want to discuss is a film called Beware, Children at Play from 1989. A small backwoods town in rural New Jersey has a problem. Children are going missing. The sheriff has no leads, and with the missing person cases mounting up and the pressure being put on by the local yokels, he calls in the one guy he thinks can help. No, not more law enforcement, but a science fiction author and his bitchy, judgmental wife. This movie starts with a really long setup to the story, as a father and his young son are on a good old-fashioned boys' trip, doing things like fishing, roasting marshmallows over an open fire, and chasing each other through the woods, acting like cannibals. 
Yes, that's one of their activities, and during one of their hide-and-seek games, the father steps right into an armed bear trap. Whoops. Helpless and unable to open the trap, they wait for help, but a week into waiting and with rations running low, the father dies. His last words to his son are lines from Beowulf, I guess, and upon taking his last gasp of air, the son plunges a knife into his chest and presumably eats his heart. Ten years later, present day 1989, we catch up with the DeWolf family. John, the patriarch, is an author who writes lurid tales of alien abductions and psychics that he swears are well-researched and true. His wife Julia, an English professor, hates his profession because they have covers that feature women with cleavage. On both sides, as she says. They're headed out with their kid to see John's military buddy Ross. He's the sheriff of the town and has a personal connection with the missing kids as his daughter went missing a few years ago. Their only suspect is a religious zealot named Farmer Braun and a pack of voices from the forest that all the other kids call the Woodies. John and Ross try to find a culprit for the missing children, but more people, including adults, are going missing or ending up dead. For the most part, this movie was a chore to get through. It's mostly talking or dead ends for the majority of the runtime, and aside from some sparse moments of extremely well-done gore, like a guy getting cut in half or a skinned face with rats eating it, it's kind of boring. I almost turned off a few times, and then we get to the last five minutes. I hadn't heard of this movie before, uh, so I had no idea what was coming, but apparently there was a cloud of controversy when it was released, and now it's easy to see why. And before I spoil why the controversy was afoot, and spoil the entire ending of the film, I will say that as crazy as it gets in the last five minutes, it's still a tough film to recommend because of how stale everything feels. So if you're still interested, skip ahead a few minutes. Uh, anyway, that was your warning. Spoilers incoming for Beware, Children at Play, starting now. So it turns out that the Woodies... Those uh, voices in the woods are responsible for the missing kids and the killed adults. They're actually led by our bear trap kid who we saw in the beginning of the film, but he's grown now. He calls himself Grendel, yes, like Beowulf, and has kidnapped and brainwashed these kids that have gone missing into becoming cannibalistic psychopaths. They kill almost all the main characters in the film, aside from John the author, whose daughter has now been kidnapped by this pack of wild children. Great parenting move, by the way, bringing your kid to a town that has all of its kids being kidnapped. Anyway, John finds the kids, grabs his daughter, but an angry town mob led by Farmer Braun encircles them all. John tries to talk them out of violence. They're just kids, he yells while calling them Bible-thumping morons to hold them at bay and try to get them to change their minds. The mob, of whom many have had children in this group who have been missing for a while, say, they're not my kid anymore. So you get this back and forth, and in any modern film, this is where the cavalry would come in to take care of the angry mob and wrangle up the kids for rehabilitation, but not in this movie. Not in this fucking movie. In a shocking twist, Braun shoots John in the forehead. The other adult goes down, killing him instantly, and the angry mob starts violently murdering all of the kids. I'm talking shoving pitchforks through necks, sticking guns in kids' mouths, and blowing their brains out of the back of their heads. One particularly gruesome death sees two guys aim at one kid and his head literally explodes into pieces. That's the ending of this movie. This whole thing is filled with a good dose of low-budget charm, including some laughable special effects. I mean, when John gets shot in the head, you can literally see a string being pulled from his forehead to open up the bullet hole wound. And in another death, a reporter runs into a rack of spikes and impales herself, but when she lands, the spikes don't even line up with the board they're supposed to be on. But that being said, um, the film is hard to recommend. It's just a little bit slow. I mean, it feels like it just takes forever to get to the surprise at the end, but goddamn does it end with a blowtorch. 
It's just about time to get Devon Taylor on to talk heist movies, but first, we should talk about today's sponsor, Brondo. The future of this country might not have basic human rights, but at least it has electrolytes. Drinking Brondo is like shaving your chest with a lawnmower. Now that may sound dangerous, but it's not more dangerous than drinking Brondo because drinking Brondo is like riding a pony, which probably sounds not dangerous, except the pony is 300 feet tall and covered in chainsaws. And to get on the pony, you have to take an elevator. And that elevator is filled with 16 live cougars, which is an actual sport in Latin America, which is extremely fun, but not as fun as Brondo because Brondo is like driving an ice cream truck full of angry bees through a petting zoo, which is a great way of becoming popular if you want to become popular with law enforcement. But if you don't, you should still drink Brondo because Brondo will make you use your fists for everyday tasks like watching TV or romance or helicopter maintenance. It will also make you more awesome in English, which means you can use apostrophes whenever you want to even in words like nuclear, which don't even have an apostrophe, yet. Use promo code FORCE5 while checking out and get double the electrolytes for free with your first order. Brondo, it's what plants crave. Oh, and if you want to hear my thoughts on Doctor Strange, remember, stick around after me and Devon Taylor talk about some heist films. Welcome back to the Force 5 Podcast. Today, my guest is the co-host of the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club, Devon Taylor. Devon, how are you? Hello, hello. I am fantastic. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on the show. The Bloody Blunt Cinema Club combines two things that I enjoy. Uh, why don't you tell my listeners <laughs> yeah. who, who uh, aren't as familiar with your show what it's all about. Maybe they can switch over to it after they get done listening to us here. Yeah, well, as you can uh, probably infer from the title, um, I'm a I'm a big stoner and I'm a big horror movie fan. So that's uh, what we do on the podcast is um, we focus on subgenres and franchises. Um, so like we'll explore one of those for an entire month and kind of um, you know figure out what the the like tropes that kind of come up that are significant or like what makes that like what makes a movie in that specific subgenre um you know work the best and um i get very stoned while i <laughs> record these episodes uh the the first 60 episodes uh was season one and that was just me hosting it and i would have guests come on and we would do like double and triple feature style episodes but then now um we are in season two where i brought in a co-host my good friend garrett mcdowell and uh, we are uh, focusing in on like singular movies for each episode now, so that way we're we're getting a little bit more analytical now in this season, uh, which has been super fun. I have a special respect for anybody who can podcast high. I just I can't form coherent thoughts <laughs> when I'm stoned, but people like you and Kevin Smith just make podcasts doing it. Uh, I I don't understand. <laughs> I'm a very functional stoner. I kind of need it to function like on a daily basis. So it's like I'm used to pretty much just doing everything stone. But uh, as being a big horror fan, like I feel like it just like it kind of adds into the experience a little more because like for whenever I watch horror movies, it's more for the experience. Uh, I'm more of a I'm a kind of vibes and aesthetic over story a good amount of the time because like I like to like be able to like sink into the world that like I'm I'm watching and with horror being, you know, on the weirder side, it just uh, always feels right to to be a little stoned. And I feel like that's where some of my uh, best uh, theories come in. Um, if you <laughs> listen to my podcast, I've had some wild theories. Uh, the Evil Dead franchise, I have this very convoluted Ash having a nightmare theory. 
Uh, we just uh, covered the covenant and I broke down this uh, very extensive queer theory that I gave that movie way too much credit for. So, you know, that's that's what you have to expect in that. See, when I get stoned, I go on uh, Netflix or Prime or whatever, and I start flipping through stuff and I can never decide on something. So I end up just watching The Office for the hundredth time or <laughs> Arrested Development. <laughs> that's the worst one that happens when you just like you're like, I know I want to watch something. I just don't know what. And then, yeah, and then my, my fallback is usually New Girl re- reruns. Oh, that works, too. That works, too. Uh, what are some of your favorite movies that would not make our list today? Um, some of my favorite movies in general, again, horror guys. So American Psycho is uh, one of my all time favorites. Yeah. Uh, the the Fly, you you really can't beat the Fly. I think it's a near perfect film. Um, and then um, I I happen to have a as much as I don't like cars myself, I'm not a car guy by any means. I have an affinity for movies about cars and racing in general. I've noticed. Uh, so movies like Drive, um, and um, well, even though that one doesn't have a bunch of driving it, but in uh, Speed Racer, Speed Racer brings me so much joy that it's unreal. And um, and um, uh, you know the the Fast and Furious franchise, which um will maybe make a appearance on my list. It Ooh. definitely will. <laughs> um, so uh, those are some of my uh, some of my favorites for sure. That just like bring me unmitigated joy every time I I can watch them. You know whether I'm deep diving them or just like, you know, putting it on in the background for the hundredth time. Well, I'm glad to have another Fast and Furious stand on the show because I love the Fast and Furious movies. The thing that I love about the franchise is, you know, the way that it makes the... Because, again, like, we we dive into franchises in our podcast as well, and, like, I like watching the, the inner workings of franchise, like, you know, how much continuity do they keep? Do they keep the same tone? Do they switch subgenres between films? And when you think about it in that way, like, the Fast franchise is so interesting. Like, I always tell people, like, if they're not a fan, I'm like, hey, take a weekend and binge them. Like, watch them so you can, like, actually see the progression. But then also, like, you gain the appreciation for, like, how much, like, they're invested in the lore. And, like, connecting, like, the way that they connected Tokyo Drift back into the franchise somehow is like, wait, what? So, it's <laughs> like, I, 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 I it, it, it's not high art, but at the same time, it is. <laughs> now, why heist films? Was this something that you just kind of wanted to get away from the, the normal stuff that you talk about on your show? What's, what's the draw? Yeah, I, I kind of, I was like, you know, I was like, oh, what horror topic do I want to do? And I was like, you know, I, I, I talk horror on plenty of podcasts, and, and I, I still managed to fit a horror movie into this list anyways. Oh, nice. Um, but but heist movies are a movie, uh, a subgenre I've always been fascinated with since I was a kid. Um, I love, you know, watching a team form, like I'm all about forming teams and the crew, you know, that have their roles and everything. Um, I love the the planning of it all and like you know the uh the you know there's there's a clear you know always like the before the heist during the heist or after the heist and then like certain movies will spend time and like more time in each or in various stages you know it's like there's the heist movies where it's like all about the planning of it and then it like grazes over the heist you know or or vice versa so it's like um and and thieves and con men are characters that I gravitate towards, um, you know, because they are, you know, usually they're very scrappy. They have to be resourceful and they, you know, are figuring out a way to use their unconventional talents um, to their benefit, whether that be legal or not. 
Um, and uh, something about that fascinates me. Um, a couple of movies on this list. Um, I'm working on a on a comic character right now, and it's gonna have a lot of heisty elements in it. So I've been rediving into like heist movies I haven't seen as well, and I'm just like trying to do uh, a general uh, catch up on on heist movies. There is something so satisfying about seeing that team building stuff, seeing the plan yeah. build. It like brings you in as an audience member, like I'm part of this. Yes, like th- give me the montages, you know, like <laughs> yeah, oh, they're so good. Let me see that stuff, and then it also I think it puts you more on edge when things start to go wrong as they inevitably do mm-hmm. because like you you know like oh shit they didn't plan for this and then uh, yes in any i'm pretty much in any heist movie there's gonna be a some type of late game double cross and mm-hmm. you are thinking oh my gosh this is definitely something that the main character didn't plan for but of course they did plan for it uh there's always like a, a card up the sleeve which is another element to the heist movies that i really really love yeah like i said it's like it's something about the resourcefulness because like that's something i pride myself in and like in life in general like i feel like i've been able to like kind of roll with the punches pretty well with like a lot of things that have happened in my life so it's like the the resourcefulness of it is interesting like and i'm an aspiring director and um i forget who it was but somebody said you're just a creative problem solver as a director so it's like when something comes up on the heist like you said it's like all right now that thing that ruined your perfect plan how how are you gonna you know keep going on so yeah did you put any uh parameters on yourself on how to narrow your list down because there are a ton of heist films and there's only a handful of bad ones yeah you know i didn't put too much parameters because that's what's interesting about heist the genre too it's such a big genre like there's such a big pool of it and even though like you know most heist movies do still follow the same basic formula it's a formula that's very malleable that like can be you know changed around it can be applied into different scenarios and subgenres. so it's like i didn't put too much um in it my main parameter is that like um the it has to have a heist and the heist has to pertain to the plot in some way that's basically the only parameters i gave myself yeah, I'm kind of along the same lines. I did make a couple of adjustments to mine. Like, so number one, I didn't want anything that had been on a previous list. So, uh, like for me, none of mine have been mentioned on this show before. And Ooh, then nice. the other one is just like you said. So there needed to be that element of the planning involved. We needed to see the heist. I think there's a difference, in my opinion, between a heist and a like a bank robbery. Mm. You can have a heist as a bank like robbing a bank but i think there's a, a difference from like your typical smash interesting. and interesting interesting i i kind of differentiated between heists and cons yeah because i feel yeah. like those are very different so all mine are heist movies none of them are like long cons um i mean well one of them's kind of a long con but it still involves stealing something so it's still heisty um and 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 most heist movies always involve a team I've and most and all mine on my list do except for one of them is like not a team one, but I still really just want to include it. So okay, there's one solo heister in there. A solo heist. That's interesting. That's definitely not on my list. Mine are all teams. I'm excited. I'm excited to talk heist. This is one that I've been hoping somebody would bring up for a very long time. So uh, Devon Taylor, you ready to get into this list? Let's do it. You know what's gonna happen? You know what's happening here right now? I know what's gonna happen. You just made the list! Top five, top five, the top five 
heist films. I'm going to kick us off here. This has the perfect title for this list. It's Heist from 2001. Nobody gets the goods like you, Joe. Anybody can get the goods. The hard part's getting away. Plan a good enough getaway, you could steal Abbott's Field. Abbott's Field's gone. What did I tell you? We got the go-ahead. We got a firm date on the Swiss thing. He's broke his tire and cops are looking for him. I gotta get out of town. I gotta go. I give you the money now and you're gone. I bankroll this job on your say-so. Hey, what do you want from me? I want you to do the other thing. Walk away from it. You can't run. You know, they'll hunt you down. Joe! I gotta fight it out. Where are you going with this? I'm gonna stand this thing on his head. The plan has changed. I need you to suit up. It's a good plan. How'd you figure it out? Go, go, go. Oh, I tried to imagine a fellow smarter than myself. And then I tried to think, what would he do? We got your gold. Now, Heist, uh, some people are going to really be drawn to David Mamet dialogue. Some people honestly won't. He's got a very distinct rhythm to his the movies that he writes, and especially the movies that he directs, and he directed this one as well. He, If, if you're not familiar with David Mamet, he did like Glengarry Glen Ross, The Spanish Prisoner, Spartan, Red Belt, all movies that I really, really love. And this is, it almost feels like, a, like it's a live action play. That's how it feels. But um, Heist starts with a jewel heist that goes wrong because Gene Hackman, he plays this character named Joe. They, they go in, they try to get this jewelry store knocked off, and he has to adjust midway through the, the heist, and he has to show his face. So all of a sudden, oh. his face is on camera. And uh, his, the, the guy who he's trying to steal this stuff for, played by Danny DeVito, in a great villain role for Danny DeVito, he's, like, really Ooh. pissed, and because... He, you know, he's on camera. He's a liability now. DeVito's like, I'm not going to pay you. And he blackmails Joe Moore and his crew into doing a gold heist on an airplane. So um, the, the airplane is going to be parked at an airport. But that's that's the setup for this. It's got a great mm. cast. Gene Hackman is awesome. I, I love him as like this tough guy, but he's also just so cool in this movie. Everything about the movie feels kind of cool. It's also got Rebecca Pigeon as his love interest. Delroy Lindo's in here. He's always great. Ricky Jay. Oh, yeah. And then Sam Rockwell, a young Sam Rockwell in here, Ooh. too, which is great. He's like this um, great ensemble cast. Yeah, he's like this idiot uh, nephew to Danny DeVito's character. It's um definitely one of the twistier films on my list. There's a character named Bobby in, in the movie that says, why did the chicken cross the road? Because the road crossed the chicken. And there's a lot of crossing here. There's a lot of backstabbing here. It's really, really stylish. Um, the dialogue is endlessly quotable. Uh, there's a character that's like on his, you know, he's got a gun to his head. And he's like, don't you want to hear my last words? And the guy holding the gun says, I just did. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's got a great ending too. And just like many heist films on, I'm sure both of our lists, you're probably going to be wondering until the last few minutes, like how Joe and his crew are going to plan to get away with things but it, in my opinion it all just comes together it's not um it's not one that i revisit a lot but god damn when i do watch it the, the dialogue is just something that really draws me to it and i think it's just because I'm, I'm such a big david mamet fan and this like peak mamet right here so yeah that's that's what i'm kicking off with here at number five heist from 2001 yeah i'm uh one thing that i've noticed too like you know that i think is just inherently included in most heist movies is an element of coolness. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, there there has to be a level of, like, cool and suaveness to it. 
um it, you know i mean obviously there's exceptions but um yeah like if if when you're watching a heist movie if like at some point you don't say oh that's cool or that was cool like then you're it's not doing it oh there's a line in this movie where they ask if joe's gonna be cool and the guy says my man is so cool when he goes to sleep sheep count him <laughs> yes oh man okay um, that's going on my list just for the one-liners alone devon number five on your list so uh so again um this is gonna be an interesting list a lot of um you know um big names are going to be left off but they this is a this is a personal list uh this is different than like uh screen drafts or the incinerator and so i'm like i feel a little bit easier on this one now i'm just like you know what this is my list damn it yeah it's a personal top fives so number five is one is one that I've mentioned a couple times. It's the one horror movie that I snuck on here. It's the one solo heister that's in here, and uh, this is uh, the Collector from two thousand and nine. Time a smooth operation out here. I picked the jobs, you picked the lots, pick up the prize together. That's a routine. You need me to think about that woman of yours. And a little pretty girl of yours. And you've been casing that family's house for months. You think the family is going out of town? You found the safe. Now, what was that request of yours? You said it um this um is made from some of the guys that did work on the saw franchise and this film was supposed to be a jigsaw prequel spinoff at one point um but then um it got uh reworked um into its own thing um and what's interesting about this movie that i just really love is you know who uh, when you think about um you know final girls that square off against uh slashers and stuff you know, they're, the the fun in that is, like, they're always at a disadvantage, you know. Um, but so what I found interesting about this one is, like, okay, who would make a very good matchup for, like, a serial killer or someone uh, for a slasher? And that would be a thief. I, I feel like that is very interesting on how their skill sets match up against each other. So basically, um, this guy, he's, you know, has to... Um, help out his family he's he's trying to get out he's been out of the heist business but you know he's got to go back in to help out his uh girlfriend who like owes some people some money so he had been um he had been working as a like a repair man for this rich family and uh so he has access to his house and he's gonna like rob them um but then the night that he goes to um whenever he breaks in and uh to pull off his heist um he realized somebody has already also broken in and they turn the house into a series of death traps where they are uh, killing and torturing people. Um, so it becomes, once he sneaks in, it becomes this cat and mouse game between them where, because he even, he, he's a good guy, like, you know, he has like a good heart. Um, and he um, is basically, he wants to, you know, try to help save the family. Um, but he also does not want to get caught and hurt himself. So it's like for most of the movie, the killer doesn't know that he's in the house and it's them like sneaking around like he's trying to help the people and he's sneaking around but also trying to avoid the traps and the killer himself until they finally do um discover each other and then they have a a showdown between them in the third act um the the main guy uh the protagonist arkin he's just a very fascinating character because he's 
very smart. He has, you know, with his thieving skills, he's able to outwit the killer uh, in certain scenes in very smart ways. And um, the tension formed between him trying to sneak around and like not get discovered by the killer is uh, just it works so well. Like the, the tension is really good, but this movie is also very gory with some of the kills and traps. Um, because you definitely do see the saw influences. Um, it's a, it's really fun. Um, it's a really fun movie. Um, it's directed really well. And again, I think the main character arc in, um, of this, uh, thief, uh, going up against this, uh, deranged serial killer is just a very super fun premise. There's a sequel that is also pretty good. And, uh, a third one has been, um, in the air for like eight years now. So <laughs> we're, hopefully that happens at some point, but, um, but yeah, the collector. I've never seen The Collector, and I think it's just because I've, I, like, I've, I know the cover, and it's something that doesn't at all get this premise across. No, not at all. It's a guy, yeah, the, the poster is just the guy putting his mask on. He's, like, tying his mask in the back. Yeah. And, yeah, it does not give any of that. Yeah, I, I didn't watch this film until, like, a couple years ago. And then I was like, oh, my God, this movie is like so much fun. I was like, how did I was like, how do people not talk about it a little more? Like, it's it's like if you like the Saw, it's like if you are interested in the Saw movies, but they are a little too gory and you want a little you want something a little bit more, um, something a little more lean, um, you know, in not if uh, if the Saw movies are a Long Island and the collector is you know, is a, uh, is a, is a Tom Collins. It's just a normal cocktail and a little more straightforward. Yeah. This sounds rad. I got, I got to check this out. Is the sequel also like centered around the same type of thing or is that completely different? Um, so the sequel, he, he, um, you know, he gets caught at the end of the movie, but then he also escapes. Got it. And then, um, some, some people, um, a like politician when his uh, daughter is kidnapped, um, hires these like mercenaries to like go find the daughter but then once they find out it's like with this killer and they heard that Arkin escaped him they hire Arkin to like go back in with them so he has to like go save this little girl from like he and now he's turned like a warehouse or this like nightclub warehouse like he's turned that into a giant death trap so so it's him having to go back in and like reface this guy again uh, which is still interesting. Um, I don't like the second one as much, um, um, but the second one is also fun. These sound great. I got to add these to my list. These sound awesome. Uh, well, one of the cool things about this show is that there are no good segues. And uh, that <laughs> we're going to go from your, uh, it sounds like a pretty horrifying solo heist to one of my favorite comedies of the 90s. This is uh, directed by Wes Anderson from 1996, Bottle Rocket. Preparation was good, you know. I think that's your specialty. Thank you. Thank you. Because if I said that one, it would sound like bragging. Obviously, good quickness. Yeah, in and out, pretty fast. Real fast. Including the coin collection and the earrings. You took the earrings, Dignan? I bought the earrings for my mother on her birthday. Maybe we should have robbed your house. You ever think of that? Three outstanding young men. Bob Mapplethorpe, potential getaway driver. Go. I really want to be a part of this team. And I'm the only one with a car. Are you a Wes Anderson fan? 
Um, I am a Wes Anderson fan, and I just watched Bottle Rocket for the first time before this recording. Oh, very cool, very cool. Glad, well, I'm glad that I did. I was like, I was like, you know what? I was like, because I never knew it was a heist movie until I listened to the screen drafts one. I was like, wait, this is it's like a it is a heist movie, and like obviously it's a very different one. But I was like, oh, so yeah, I finally watched it. Yeah, this is this is uh, Wes Anderson's directorial debut. It's based on his short film Bottle Rocket, which. Um, I think made its debut at like Sundance or like one of the smaller film festivals. And then he got the funding to turn it into what we have now, this this feature length one. It also, I believe it's Owen Wilson and Luke Wilson's acting debut as well, because they all went to uh, Texas University together and uh, they all came up together. So this starts with, well, I'll, I'll get to the heist here in a second, but I want, I want to talk about like the, the setup for things so you can as an audience understand why I think this movie is so funny. So Owen Wilson plays this guy named Dignan and he's like this big dreamer, but he's also really, really dumb. And it starts with this dude Dignan breaking his friend, Anthony out of a mental hospital. And Anthony is Luke Wilson. It's the classic like bed sheets, tie the bed sheets and toss them out the window kind of escape. And so he's, you know, he, he gets to the grass and then they both hightail it because they're on their way to a bus. But this is a voluntary facility. <laughs> <laughs> and we find out that the only reason Anthony went along with it is because Dignan was so excited. Uh, <laughs> and so they're on the bus. They're, they're going from Arizona to where Dignan lives. And they go over Dignan's like plan. He has a notebook and it's like Dignan's plan. And we open it up and it's a 75 year plan, which has like short term goals, like to practice robberies and small time robberies. And then getting introduced to Mr. Henry becoming part of a crew, but it also has these longer term goals. Like I, I, I had to pause it a couple times. I also rewatched this for this, uh, for this episode. And I had to pause it a couple times on this notebook. There are some notes that say developing outside interests in art, science, and travel. <laughs> and then there's another note when possible, meet people from foreign countries. Just, just great. Which is also, also foreshadows a, a plot point of the movie. Yeah, foreshadows a part uh, later on. The the team like getting the team together scene <laughs> in this is really really funny too. It's also much simpler than a lot of my examples. Um, for example, they recruit this guy Bob to be the driver because he really wants to be a part of the team, and he's the only one with a car. <laughs> and uh, all of this like planning and all of this uh, getting everybody together, it's. Leading up to they're they're trying to get into the good graces of this guy named Mr. Henry, who's played by James Caan, a, a man who's supposedly this master thief, but runs a um, like a landscaping service as a front. And uh, th the main heist that he sets them on is to break into this cold storage facility and crack the safe, all while wearing these really bright yellow jumpsuits. <laughs> And you can see that as you watch this, you can see the um, undeveloped Wes Anderson traits that he mm -hmm. he hasn't fully gone like Voltron Wes Anderson yet. This is like one leg of that Voltron. We've got the intricate camera movements, the really uh, kind of zany characters and this very dry sense of humor that just works for me. I love this movie. I think it's hilarious. There's a great bookstore robbery where they're only disguised. <laughs> is <laughs> it's amazing yeah it's just a piece of tape over their nose and he's like why are you putting tape on your nose and dignan's answer is exactly <laughs> it's just so good and if you don't want to take my word for it 
Martin Scorsese called this one of his favorite movies of the 90s, and apparently that guy knows something about cinema, so yeah, highly recommend Bottle Rocket from 1996. Yeah, that was a that was a that was a fun one. Um I definitely I definitely dug it quite a bit. Um it was interesting cuz I've mainly have only seen like I'm still haven't seen a lot of Wes Anderson's early movies. Um, so it was interesting seeing this one when he was like still making like actual movies, yeah. which, which is not a dig on what he does now. It's just he makes you know these like kind of dollhouse cinema type projects now. Like they, but this one uh, it, it resembles a you know more straightforward narrative, unlike a lot of his other films. And uh, yeah, the the Wilson brothers are super funny um, together, and like yeah, just the 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 like this is the most mundane of any of the heist movies i think that could go on this list and oh, i yeah, think that's sure. what makes it really fun next up on my list at number four is uh edgar wright's baby driver so you're just starting your day or did you just get off they call i go you know so what is it you do i'm a driver Oh, like a chauffeur. Anyone I'd know? I hope not. What is your name? Baby. Your name's Baby. B-A-B-Y Baby. Big fan of this one. Um, it's interesting because I've seen, you know, uh, people's people seem to like it when it like first came out and then like now it like kind of gets made fun of and I don't get why. It's still a people fun make movie. fun of this? Yeah, like, I mean, and not even for the reasons, you know, including a gross man in the movie, yeah. but, um, yeah, for some reason, other people are like, people are like, uh, you know, it's, it's all right, but, um, I'm a sucker for, um, musicality in a film, um, like, music is a big inspiration on a lot of things I do, I direct music videos, um, and, you know, I think very musically as far as, like, when I'm watching films as well, um, so the fact that, you know, Edgar Wright makes this a uh, heist musical um essentially you know with like the way that everything is edited to the beat um everything is set to music like when he gave the script to the cast he like included a thumbnail or a thumb drive um with the playlist and like it's like labeled like in the script like for like each thing and everything um which i i just love i even have a, a spotify playlist that i've been like working on that is music to rob banks too <laughs> that is this is this is my heist movie um playlist because i feel like that's very important in a, in a heist movie is uh the music you know because again when you when you have a good montage or a good uh chase scene or a scene when somebody's you know like uh hacking into something you gotta have a good track behind it you know so um, I love the whole concept of, you know, the, the getaway driver being the main character and, uh, the way that everything just like kind of unfolds around him, you know, he, he does this because it's just something he's really good at and he wants to make money. Um, and you know, and, and the, the fact that he has tinnitus is something I relate to cause I also have tinnitus and like, uh, I'm very much the same way. Like I have to like have like music or some sort of like background noise going like at all times or else like i have that ringing um so like i very much i was just like like holy shit i was like that that was like me when i was in middle school like i would like i would get in trouble all the times because i would like come up with sneaky ways to have my headphones in because like i just needed it um so yeah so seeing that is uh something interesting but man like some of these uh scenes like the the opening heist of course is 
it, it sucks that it's probably the best scene of the movie. Um, I think that kind of hurts it a little bit as the movie goes on a little bit. But uh, that opening heist is just so fun, which is a recreation of a music video he did. And then um, just all, all the other heists that have uh, different interesting aspects, whether it's switching the vehicles up or, um, you know, whenever Baby decides to just say fuck everything and do his own thing. Um, we even have a, uh, uh, for a movie that's about uh, driving a lot, um, has one of my favorite on foot chase yeah. scenes in a film as well. Um, so yeah, I, I love pretty much like everything about Baby Driver. I think it's fun. Um, it's snappy. I love all of, uh, the Easter eggs you find in the background, the music. Um, it, it all works for me. I love Baby Driver. There aren't many movies that I've seen in theaters twice. I saw Baby Driver in the theater twice because it was so good. Oh, and it just yeah. deserved that presentation. The music's fantastic. Mm-hmm. When you said like the opening scene might be one of the best scenes in the film i agree i think that foot chase scene though is like a close second set to uh hocus pocus yeah what, what else can i say the mike myers stuff is hilarious the mike myers oh my mask. god yes the the the, the, the masks because like how you said with a bottle rocket like that was something that was really funny to me too and like that's also very integral to heist movies is like your disguises what masks are you wearing so yeah, the, the whole uh, Mike Myers mask gag was hilarious. Yep. I do the same things as him when I'm writing my screenplays. I, I put in music cues uh, just so people can put that on in the background and get in the right space for whatever it is I want them to be reading. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what it is, but there is like, you know, because a, a good heist movie, you know, always kind of has to have a, a good rhythm to it. You know, like there's not too many slow heist movies. Most of them are very kind of have this like kinetic energy to it so it's like music is like such an easy way to like add that in well i've got uh, some good music in my number three here we're going back to 1972 and i just realized that all of my picks are in reverse chronological order so heist at 2001 is going to be my newest film on my nice. list so we're going back to 1972 here and this is a film that is probably one of the more deeper cuts on my list i don't think a lot of people have seen this it's called the doberman gang <laughs> The Doberman Gang. Six Doberman pinchers trained to commit the most incredible caper ever conceived. The Doberman Gang. Six savage Dobies with a thirst for cold cash that leaves banks bone dry. The Doberman Gang. Bonnie and Clyde. Babyface Nelson. Ma Barker. Pretty Boy Floyd. John Dillinger. They ain't in it for the dog biscuit. I tailor it to their hideout. Who says you can't teach a new dog old tricks? Clockwork canines, trained to rip off banks with mechanical precision and rip up anybody who gets in their way. See the Doberman Gang bite the long arm of the law. The Doberman Gang, exciting family entertainment, rated PG. This movie starts off with three bank robbers, Eddie, Jojo, and Sammy, and they go through what they think is the perfect bank heist, and as they exit the bank, one of uh, Eddie, so Eddie's the leader of this gang, I think it's Jojo. He throws the money in the trunk of what he thinks is their car, but it's a car that looks like theirs and somebody else drives off with the money. <laughs> like just a, a normal citizen drives off with the money uh. in, the, in the trunk. <laughs> and so Eddie's obviously like pissed. He had planned this whole bank robbery and now it, it all goes to shit because this dude threw the money in the wrong trunk. And he's like, the human factor is what goes wrong with my plans. And what I need is robots. And and obviously, this is 72. You can't have a robot robbing a bank. But he just he really wants something he can control and that follows orders exactly. So what's the next best thing 
dogs. So uh, as part of his plan, he recruits a dog trainer named Barney. And his ask for Barney is that he's going to train six Dobermans to pull off a bank heist. <laughs> Their names, like, yeah, it's tight. And the, the dogs are all named after famous robbers. So you got Dillinger, Bonnie and Clyde. Pretty Boy Floyd, Babyface Nelson, and Ma Barker. Those are the dogs, which is awesome, too. Um, the, the planning scenes are excellent in the film because you get the dog training. They're doing, like, agility training. They're doing bite training. They're doing all kinds of that stuff. But they actually build a replica of the bank to practice in. So they have, like, cardboard tellers and stuff like that. I really like that mm. aspect of it. It has a really, really great ending, too, in terms of the troubles that the dogs run into. And of course, like the double crosses that you can kind of see coming in this one. But when you have six dogs that are basically being controlled by these dog whistles, uh, some things get out of hand <laughs> and, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh there's oh. some really, really interesting stuff here. And the dog work is great too. The director, I was surprised cause I looked up the director for this and um, the director's name is Bri- uh, Byron. Chud Chud now, I think, is how you say his last name. But he was primarily an editor. He only directed four major movies, and they were this movie and then three Doberman sequels, which I have not yet seen. Um, in oh wow, yeah, seventy three, seventy six, and eighty. Yeah, franchise stuff here. And apparently, this was supposed to be remade at some point, but never was. Um, I hope that it still happens. Yeah. We definitely need a new version of that. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's it's so good. And this was, uh, you mentioned good music in the last one. Uh, this was Alan Silvestri's first big screen music credit, who he would wow. go on to be a famous composer for stuff that everybody's seen, like Back to the Future, Forrest Gump, and all the Avengers movies that you've, that you've probably seen. So, um, yeah, there's only really one notable actor in here. That's Julie Parrish, who plays Eddie's love interest. She's kind of the only recognizable name, but more for her work on TV shows as opposed to movies. But it's a really, really fun movie. And uh, yeah, if you get the chance and you want to see something with some animals, it's it's really kind of cool. Doberman Gang from 1972 fits the bill. That sounds really fun because it's like, you know, I, I like a good heist movie that's like, you know, just like very silly when it has like that silly hook to it. And um, I'm surprised there's not more animal related heist movies like. I don't know, with like birds or, <laughs> or something like that, you know, like, why aren't there more animal heist movies? And uh, just funny that they were trying that back in the 70s. Yeah, n- no CGI. So I, and, and and what you pointed out, too, with uh, the dog names, code names, also important oh, yeah. in in um, in heist movies. Got to have uh, the good code names. So you you get it off easy with uh, some dog puns on top of it. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, my my number three is also another, uh, it's a heist movie that has a very interesting hook to it, um, or it's not your typical heist. And it's another movie, it wasn't really sold as a heist movie, like it was very much sold as like a action, like kind of psychological on the run type movie. And uh, this is the movie Push, um, starring Chris Evans and Dakota Fanning. Some of us can move objects with our minds. You're a second generation mover. Is that what the kids are calling it these days? Others can make their thoughts your own. Get the hell out of my head! Some can see the future. You're a watcher. Right now, our future isn't that great. But there's a secret organization within our government called Division, trained to track us down and turn us into weapons. 
There's only one person who's ever escaped from Division. We have to find her. She's the key to bringing them down. With her, we're going to create an army the world's never seen before. I haven't even gotten to the bad part yet. We die. Great. This is a movie about um, some psychics that are on the run um from from this agency um that are taking these people that have psychic abilities and trying to weaponize them um into war and stuff and um the the movie uses different types of psychics that's like one of the um draws of it it's like there's people that are telekinetic there's uh people that have uh can see into the future um but then there's also people that can um like sniff things and like get like the memories of like whatever has touched that item um there's people called bleeders that like can like emit these like supersonic screams that make your organs bleed um there's there's a bunch of them so it's like there's this very interesting world building aspect to it and uh and again it was kind of sold more as a action film but the like whole the like main meat of the movie like in the middle is uh, this heist because um, the, these psychics are on the run um, because they have like connections um, to um, the agency in various ways through their parents. But then um, Chris Evans character, his ex-girlfriend, um, she was in the agency and um, got this um, or the, it's called the division. And um, she uh, gets this uh, uh, injected with this drug that's supposed to increase their abilities. So um, and she's the first survivor, but then she goes on the run. So they're trying to find her because she stole the um the drug that increases their powers, but it also like was like killing a bunch of them. Um and the 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 heist in the middle of the movie is is once he is reunited with her and um they know that there's other people that are after them trying to find the drug, and so is the division as well. So they have like there's a there's a gang they're trying to outsmart, but then there's also the division they're trying to outsmart. So they have to come up with this plan to get around their abilities but then also use their psychic abilities of the people and their crew that they assemble throughout the movie so it's like it involves like a guy that can change the appearance of items can like sh uh, they're called shifters so like can like shape shift an item to like make it look like something there's a guy uh, called a shade that can like block um psychics um from like seeing them like their location and stuff and it's like this whole thing that involves letters that Chris Evans writes to everybody with instructions, but then he has to have his memory wiped by this other psychic, so that way the future seers can't know the know their heist of trying to um they're they're like gonna trade the drug for um someone that got kidnapped, but they don't want to give them the drug. So there's like a whole so the it it gets kind of convoluted, but it all makes sense. And it's very fun and getting to see all these different like psychic abilities used in a heist scenario is uh, super interesting because we don't have as many super powered heists um, movies or properties as you think. And this movie is also like a big inspiration on a thing I'm working on. That sounds awesome. I haven't seen Push. I'm a big Chris Evans fan, but uh, yeah, for some reason, this has always kind of flown under my radar. It was uh, it was in 2009 and. It's one of those ones that, like, it wasn't based off of anything. This was an original screenplay that somebody wrote, um, and it didn't do very well in the box office. It was definitely, like, they had plans on it being a franchise, but didn't do too well. But, like, it has a lot of uh, 
it has a really fun mix of um practical effects and cgi effects um some of the things that they're able to do um with the abilities of these people is uh, very creative and fun and um if you're somebody that enjoys super powered things but you're kind of burnt out on actual superhero movies this is a this is a fun um movie that you can watch and like still get that fix i'll have to check this out that's push from 2009 so just imagine if your heist crew all had superpowers <laughs> all had psychic abilities like what gets better than that superpowers and dobermans that's that needs to be a combo <laughs> of a movie right there superpowered dobermans there we go well doberman gang obviously came out in 1972 but it was not the best heist film from 1972 in my opinion because that honor goes to a film called The Hot Rock. This one starts out with a guy named Dortmunder. Never hear his first name. He's just always referred to as Dortmunder. And he gets out of jail. He's immediately p- picked up by his brother-in-law. And is instantly taken to see this guy named uh, Dr. Amusa in a park. So the three guys are sitting there. And, and this doctor says that there's a diamond in a museum. That's of great value to his nation of Africa. And if they can steal it. So he can take it back to his country. He'll pay them a handsome sum. I think it's something like a hundred thousand dollars or something like that. So um, he's he's kind of on the fence, but eventually they convince him because he just got out of jail. He doesn't really have much, so it's like, well, this this money could be life changing. So he goes and recruits two other guys, and they go to snag this diamond out of this museum. And their their uh, plan for the initial museum heist is three of them are going to dress up as guards and then they're going to distract the real guards with a car wreck outside of the museum. And it all goes down as Mm. planned. But this all this stuff happens in like the first 20 minutes. And that's why the hot rock is so fun, because as many of these heist movies, things go wrong in the museum and they get one of the guys gets captured. So uh, he happens to be the only guy who knows where the diamond is. And he's not going to give them the location of the diamond unless they break him out. So now they got to break him out of prison. So first you get the diamond heist. Now you got a prison break. And then once they get him out of jail, he's like, oh, by the way, it's at the police station. And now we got to go get it from the police station. So now they got to break into the police station and heist the diamond again. (laughs) And then some stuff happens and they have to go and heist the diamond again from a bank. So not only you get you basically get four (laughs) heists in this movie. It's super twisty. The same item. I love. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The same thing. Tons of double crossing. It's actually really darkly funny as well. Dortmunder is played by Robert Redford. And in the 70s, he was just so charismatic. So good looking on screen. Uh, mm, He's um, he's mm -hmm. great. George Seagal's in there, too. um, But. Yeah, Robert Redford, man, he's got this speech in there when he's trying to figure out whether or not he wants to do the first heist. And uh, he's saying this to his uh, to his brother-in-law is good and, and bad speech. It's like it's good and it's bad. There's a guaranteed return and that's good. But the guarantor is in a Musa and that's bad. It's an easily transportable object and that's good. But it's in a bad position in the museum and that's bad. And he starts going through this whole like good and bad speech. Oh, it's so damn good. Uh, it's just a really, really fun, I think, underrated heist movie. It was nominated for Best Editing at the Oscars that year. And um, some of the ways they pull off these jobs, pretty inventive. They use a hypnotist at one point, which is uh, which is great. There's uh, the funny, um, you know, like in movies where there's a hypnotist, there's always a trigger word. 
And the trigger word yeah, yeah. to make this guy do what they want him to do is Afghanistan banana stand. <laughs> That's, I mean, it's got to be specific, so that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, oh, this is so going on my list. 70s Robert Redford, so hot. Love him. Yeah. And uh, and I'm looking at this. I saw that the music was done by Quincy Jones. Oh yeah, which uh, which is really cool. So huh. got a funky score in there. Yeah, the Hot Rock '72, a really underrated movie, and um, Peter Yates directed this. It's just good stuff. Yeah, it's definitely going on the list. Um, and I'm glad that you've covered um the the some earlier decades because I noticed all mine are from the 21st century. Um, I, I do watch old movies, guys, I swear. But <laughs> That's just the beauty of these lists, you know? They're varied. I, I mean, hey, I, I, I mean, yeah, I've rewatched Heat and Heat Rules, but, like, I'm not going to throw that on the list because everybody knows Heat. Um, so, so I left Heat off the list, but we did uh, already talk about um, the, the Fast and Furious franchise, um, which a few movies in the, um, in the franchise, I won't say all of them, but I will say at least three of them are predominantly heist movies. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple to pick from. And I went with um, with the, the film that seems to be, I think, the consensus favorite for most. And um, because it kind of served as the turning point for the franchise into what it is now, which would be Fast Five. Hell yeah. The most electrifying man in sports entertainment is in the most anticipated film of the year. Listen up, the men we're after are professional runners. We take them as a team, then we bring them back. And above all else, we don't ever let them get in the cars. Let's go hunting. Blood, bullets. When the FBI wants to find somebody, that's who they call. This shit went from Mission Impossible to Mission in freaking Sanity. Doesn't change a thing. We're talking about a hundred million dollars. You say what? You're going down, Toretto. Big mistake. You gotta keep running now. Running ain't freedom. Sooner or later, we're gonna end up buried in a ditch somewhere. Not today. Um, Fast Five, it, it fucking rules. This is, um, you know, we get the introduction of The Rock. So you have him and his team that are after Dom and the fam. Um, whenever they are hiding out in uh, Rio de Janeiro, and um, it, yeah, it's uh, it's just a lot of fun. You know, we get the uh, you know, the crew. Uh, we get added. Pe- this is when like other people from you know previous entries of the franchise uh come back in. Uh, this is when you know we get Roman and Tej are back in, so they're added to the crew now. Um, uh, um we have uh some of the people that were introduced in Fast and Furious, the fourth one. Uh, they are in here as well. Um, we got Han. Uh, I mean, we get everybody. This is like really when the crew is really coming. This is like the crew as we know it going forward. And um, yeah, and this is where, you know, like because the, the, the fourth movie is where it really truly pivots where they like kind of up the stakes and the heist um, aspect. Um, you know, obviously they are um, far and away from DVD players of the first film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but uh, the the fifth one, it's just uh, the the heist itself is just so fucking awesome. Like just this convolute plan that they come up with with multiple dump trucks. Um, we have these chargers with like metal like cases like on them, and um, the movie. I mean, we get a like what twenty five minute uh climax of them dragging a safe via two cars um through the streets and using it as a weapon. 
Like you got uh, 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 Dom and Brian pulling off moves together, uh, slinging this safe around, destroying and killing many cops, destroying lots of property. Um, and it is fucking awesome. Um, the the behind the scenes on how they did it, they like put like a stunt driver and then put the a safe like thing over it. So like there's a person in there driving that safe to like make that happen jesus Christ. it's so it's, it's just so fucking cool though the whole heist itself is just fun but then it's like they do this whole heist and then you think that it's like oh well now the heist is like kind of screwed and they're doing this whole thing and they drag the safe around do the whole thing and it didn't even matter they had the safe already yeah <laughs> so it's like they just destroyed half the city just to just to for misdirection um it's amazing um so uh, um many were the entries uh from the fast and furious franchise it could have been but fast five is is uh it's it's top notch i i watched that movie so much it's a it's a it's a a regular i throw on at the bar people love watching the fast and furious movies when i'm bartending fast five is amazing i've talked about it on this show before that's the only reason it didn't make my list it made my list of top five car chases it's so good so fun the destruction is insane and really i think if this movie failed if it wasn't as good as it ended up being then we wouldn't have up to like fast 10 or whatever we're gonna have soon it's just oh, yeah it's fast x baby yeah um and the stunt work in there is tremendous just so much carnage like you said cars just getting wrecked left and right goes from the city to a bridge it's insane i mean in the opening scene as well oh uh, the yeah opening scene of uh is just so fucking good of um when they break a uh, dom off the off the prison bus like that that like that's how you start a fucking movie <laughs> and then they do the train the train thing like directly oh, yeah. after and then that the, too yeah like there's there's so many like so it's like you got the mini heists in there um but then you got the you know the the uh, crown jewel at the end um to really take it up like you know not just one level they take it up like five levels from like what they were doing in the earlier parts of the film yeah there are many uh many scenes in movies that make like really will take your breath away and them jumping off that train into the water off the car is like one of those one of those moments all right, number one, and yeah, I mean, look, you mentioned it. Heat's not on your list. It can't be on my list either because it made my list of top five shootouts. So if I was doing like best ever heist movies, Heat would be on there, but it's not going to make the list here. But another film that I think would make the list of top five heist films ever made would be going back to what many would call the original 1955's Rafifi. There are a ton of great French heist films. Some of them I'll talk about in my honorable mentions, but almost all of them, and so many American films as well, owe it to this movie. I'll also say that many actual crimes <laughs> were also inspired yeah. by this movie. Uh, it's directed by Jules Dassin, and it's about this dude named Tony. He gets out of prison, just like in The Hot Rock. He's immediately approached by his friend Mario. And Mario wants to pull off a smash and grab at a jewelry store. And uh, Tony declines. He's not interested. But then he changes his mind when he finds out that his old girlfriend is shacking up with this gangster. But he doesn't want to pull off a smash and grab. He wants what's in the safe in there. So um, there are so many iconic scenes in this film. But there's two 
scenes that I think stand out. The first is this alarm test scene. So these, you know, he gets his mm-hmm. crew together. They're testing this alarm out and they're going through all the possible things that could go wrong. Um, they're, it's, it's pressure sensitive. It's noise sensitive. And they're, they just, they, they clip a wire. It goes off. They tug on this. It goes off. There's all these like different intricate planning things just around the alarm. And I always thought that was really cool. But the most impressive scene in this movie is the heist scene itself, which is 30 minutes long and it has no dialogue and it has no music. It's just these professionals doing what they're there to do, doing Mm -hmm. what they planned to do. And I mean, it's to the point where they're chiseling in through the roof of this place and they're using different styles of chisels for each layer that they've gotten through the roof. Paris police banned this film for a time because they said that it was too much of an instructional guide. That's how like, (laughs) that's how cool and, and like real it looks. And the heist itself is not the climax of the film. It's in the middle of the movie and the back half of the movie deals with the fallout of the heist because they uh, recruited this safe cracker named Caesar. And uh, during the heist, he stole a ring that was very recognizable, but nobody on the team knows that he stole this ring and he gives it to his girlfriend and uh, she goes to the club or she gives it to his wife or his girlfriend or whatever. But um, at the club, the gangster who Tony dislikes, uh, he sees the ring and then it starts to get really brutal. It starts to get really violent. This is very uh, noirish, but it's also for the time in 1955, it was pretty shocking. Like the level of violence that you see in here. Um, starting with the main character, Tony, just beating the shit out of his ex-girlfriend in the beginning of this movie. This is one of the rare movies where you're going to really hate the main character, but you kind of want to see him succeed so that the other characters around him also succeed. It's, Mm -hmm. it it is interesting in that regard. Um, Criterion put out an amazing looking Blu-ray. It's a black and white movie, but the restoration that they did looks amazing. So if you can, if you can get the Criterion version of this, I say do it Uh, again. One of many great French heist films, but this right here is the granddaddy of them all. Yeah, great film. Um, It is on my Criterion uh, wish list at the moment. Um, It's a um, yeah. uh, What's really interesting about this movie is it's like you know the again like how I said earlier. It's like there's you know you can have the heist movies that are like really silly and really fun. Then there's the ones that are like you know, uh, pride itself on like, you know, how they're grounded in reality, you know, and like the, this one is, you know, like you said, the attention to detail on like how, you know, making it as realistic as possible and, um, demonstrating it, you know, throughout, like you said, like, uh, that scene at the beginning, like you said, of testing the alarm and also showed that, you know, Caesar, even though he is like, you know, probably the more, most talented person, the crew, he's going to be the one that's the undoing of them. So, um, I like that dichotomy with his character. And like and 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 like you said, like uh, you mentioned, like you know the professionalism of it all. Like these are people that you believe that, like you know, that this is their life and that they live it, and like the way that they like even you know uh, mention the rules and stuff, and like yeah. how they abide by them. Like they are, there are stakes to this movie, like big time. Like I feel like a lot of the times when you watch a heist movie, like you're kind of wrapped up in the fun of the heist. That sometimes the stakes don't feel quite there. Um, but that's not the case with uh, Rafifi. Like, you really do feel the stakes of uh, the entire movie throughout. And like you said, like, with the use of, like, no music for that, for uh, the actual heist itself. Um, works out so well. Like, it's a, this is, um, it's a, it's so good. 
Well, there's obviously some huge names that we left off the list. I'm curious, what's your number one top on top five heist movies? Lots of big names left off. I love the dichotomy we're going here because you pick a a classic of the genre, a you know a very good film. Um, my my uh, number one, it, you might not even call it a film. <laughs> um, uh, this is a movie. Um, my list is all underdog movies. These are films that I defend passionately. That I'm like these should have been bigger hits, and this movie was a hit to a degree. Um, and it does have its fans, and it is um, it's now you see me. Everyone in this room was a victim of hard times. And so tonight, we're going to return some money back to you. Can you explain to me how you robbed a bank 5,000 miles away? Magic. I'm going to nail you. First rule of magic, always be the smartest guy in the room. The bank was the distraction. What's about to follow is really going to amaze. Now you see me. Locked. Nothing's ever locked. Pretty PG-13. Um, we go from a very, very grounded uh, heist film to the most ungrounded, because um, <laughs> because at the end of the day, like I, I, I like me, I'm, I like my heist movies more on the fun side. Um, and I mean, you have magicians that are pulling off heists. Um, that is uh, totally my jam because it's so ridiculous. Um, and throughout the film like they like kind of like started off being like oh no it's not real and like this is how they did things and then just progressively throughout the film you're like are these guys gaining superpowers like what is happening (laughs) and um i i love uh i just think this movie is so fun i think um the cast all works really well together you have jesse eisenberg and woody harrelson uh together again and then you add in uh dave franco and isla fisher and of course, um, then you got Morgan Freeman's in there, uh, Michael Caine and um, Mark Ruffalo um, and Melanie Laurent. Like, uh, so you got a great ensemble here. Um, I love the crew um, because they're all even different types of magicians. You know, it's like Jesse Eisenberg. He's like a, you know, kind of traditional magician. And um, Woody Harrelson's character is a mentalist. Um, and then you have Isla Fisher's like the escape artist. And then, um, and then Dave Franco's character is like the street hustler guy. And, um, so it's like, I, I like how they work together, their dynamic, um, the, uh, initial magic trick that we see of like them robbing a bank, um, that's in France and like the way that they like, uh, do it. And then the way they explain it later, um, is fun because like it kind of foreshadows like the whole movie, um, has this ridiculous twist at the end and this is where it usually loses people because it's just like well why then <laughs> um um so it's like whether if you're in on that then you know and you can just have fun with it this movie itself still is very fun um we get some um fun heist scenes um we have a, a couple fun chase scenes uh, specifically the one with mark ruffalo and dave franco's character is really fun uh, where he's like doing all of his like you know sleight of hand shit in the apartment and throwing cards at his face um you know so we we have some really good stuff they jump off a building and turn into money at the end um like you know the, this movie it, it does it does not make any sense i i'm willing to admit <laughs> that um the the second movie um also is very fun not quite as good as the first one um, but I do remember, like, you know, when I saw this, like, I mean, I was, like, I don't know, in high school, I saw it, and uh, seeing it the first time, and, like, the twist ending at the end being just like, oh, and, like, <laughs> and, like we thought it was the coolest thing. 
Um, obviously, again, it does not really make sense, but um, the the heists are a lot of fun. And like I said, give me a good heist movie with a with a gimmick to it, if you will, and um, and I'm in. And uh, it it just really works for me. If you think about the magician stuff, it really does lend itself to the heist movie with with like you said, everybody's got their own specialty. And you can see how those could all really be worked into a fun movie. I've seen this. I saw it when it first came out. I have not since seen it, so I don't remember anything about it. it might be worth a, a rewatch just to check it out. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's a it's a fun, like, you know, just like middle of the afternoon kind of watch of a movie, but um if you if you're just willing to have fun with it, um then it's a it's a fun in that way, I think. And um and then it's like in the second movie they like definitely have powers. Like so it's like, wait, what's go what's actually happening right now? So it's like if you if you are in on the first one, then watch the second one and you'll still have fun with that one too. <laughs> what we really need is a now you see me and push crossover, it sounds like. Dude, I've been <laughs> I think about this every day, like um movies like that. I'm like I I'm like how can I take Now You See Me Push and Jumper and put them all in the same movie cuz Jumper has some bank robbing in there but not a heist movie. Well, surely there were some films that did not make your list that you wanted to mention. Do you have any honorable mentions that uh just couldn't make the top 5? Uh yeah, so um obviously uh Heat um uh, super it is what like the the shootout scene is just it is so fucking good like i i i did just watch uh i i watched heat like a month or so ago but i literally just wanted to watch the the shootout scene uh this morning uh before recording i like had it up my subwoofer up super loud like the yeah. the way that the sound design of it is so good um uh the movie that probably inspired my love of heist movies um is uh was a uh, blue streak another uh luke wilson appearance um i was obsessed with martin lawrence as a kid and um i watched blue streak all the time um i had it on vhs wore that thing down and um it, it, it you know very fun goofy comedy and it's like you know we get just the heist at the beginning but then the rest of it is like the heist of him uh impersonating a detective for the rest of the movie an fbi agent um so that's um a, a fun one i think that's like kind of what got me into these movies um so uh, definitely those two um uh, you gotta have uh I'm, neither one of us had a guy Ritchie movie in there and he has yeah. uh quite a few of them um snatch is obviously a good one but even more on the heistier end um i watched wrath of man uh from last year which a lot of people didn't watch um i'm a big jason statham head and Wrath of Man is a fun one. Um, yeah, I like the, that one quite a bit. Take, the, the taking down of armored trucks is a, a make for some really fun action scenes. And uh, Jason Statham's a badass. And like, and that's like a more reined in Guy Ritchie movie, which um, we don't see too often uh, these days. Yeah. And then, um, and then um, I will say my favorite um, TNT movie of the past uh, few years is what I call them. Like this is like I knew as soon as I watched this, I go, "This is gonna be on TNT like all the time." Um, and that's a uh, Den of Thieves. But uh, Den of Thieves is a uh, was a really fun one. Um, I thought the cast was really fun. Um, Gerard Butler, uh, Pablo Schreiber, and um, O'Shea Jackson. Like I felt like they all worked really well together um the the pacing of it was really interesting like it like had like these like super high intensity uh you know moments and then it would kind of it would mellow out for a little bit and then it would like kind of ramp up a little bit and then 
it also has one of those like you know roundabout twist endings where it's like oh no it was actually you know four layers deep of all these other things happening um uh has some great um uh shootouts in it as well uh some could say that it is kind of a heat uh rip off a little bit but hey that's okay that's fine with me and um and uh and inception was one that i almost threw on the list uh you know a heist of the mind obviously um all the visuals are fantastic and um i love the the setup and world building of it all and it's again not your typical heist movie inception's great inception's great that was on my short list too some of the honorable mentions that were not mentioned you mentioned um statham he's also great in the bank job which is a uh... Yep. Not your typical Statham movie, because at the time he was just making these like really crazy action movies, and then he made The Bank Job, which is much more reserved. And mm-hmm. uh, it's a good good movie though. The Town by Ben Affleck. Yep. It was a great movie that didn't make my list. Thief, so another Michael Mann movie. Um, another good one. Mission Impossible. There's a ton of different Mission Impossible movies with heist elements to them, and I pretty much love them all. Um, let's see. What did you not mention? Oceans, the Ocean series. Oh, yeah. Actually, you know, Soderbergh, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people will be like, what? You didn't mention the Oceans movies? They're good. They just, to me, um, there, there is a better movie out there that I'll get to in a second that was, Oceans was inspired by. Logan Lucky is another good Soderbergh heist movie. Mm-hmm. Bob La Flambeur is one. It's a French movie that inspired Ocean's Eleven. And um, I think that is a superior movie along with Le Cercle Rouge, which is another great French heist movie. And the last one I want to mention is Dead Presidents, which I've been dying to put on a list. But like, I just didn't think that the like it's not a heist movie per se. There's a heist at the end of the movie, but that's not what the movie's about. Um, mm-hmm. it's just a great movie that at some point I'm going to put on a list. Devon Taylor, great picks. I've got some movies on my watch list. Where mm-hmm. can people find more of your things? We gotta, we gotta talk about beta wave too, but, um, first off bloody blunt cinema club. You can pretty much find it anywhere you find this show, right? Yeah, it is on all the platforms. Uh, we post episodes every Tuesday, um for the summer we got um some coming of age movies and then we're also going to tackle the predator franchise in august um including the new one so very excited for that um yeah you can find uh, us on twitter and instagram at bloody blunts pod for that and then uh yeah and then beta wave is a uh, creative collective i'm a part of and we make videos of uh we do like live performances uh we produce uh music videos for people so Again, I'm an aspiring director, and uh, so right now I've gotten to do a few different music videos that I've directed, which are super fun. So, uh, yeah, you can uh, check out, and uh, we also are throw we throw a music festival every year. So if you're in uh, California, August uh, 12th and 13th, Moonrise Campout, come out and uh, see some great music and uh, have a good time. All right, very cool. You're gonna find links to all this stuff in the show notes. Where can people follow you on social media? And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore daddy disco. Uh, I do photography, I roller skate, and I do some other things. So yeah, and then on Twitter, I'm mainly talking about horror movies. I cannot wait to see the new Predator movie, although I kind of feel bad for you having to watch everything after the first Predator up until this one, because I, I really dislike all the Predator movies aside from the first one. Interesting. I, I, I'm 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 decent on all of them. I, I even like I like the third one a lot more than uh, a lot of other people. I've realized that. 
and um, I'm I'm in, intrigued to uh, dig back into them. I haven't watched them in uh, binge form, so that's what's always fun about that. Maybe if I was stoned, the last Predator wouldn't be so bad. <laughs> <laughs> that one definitely is a lot more fun stoned. I remember I ate a bunch of edibles before I went and saw that one in theater, and uh, I had a fun time with it. <laughs> Super Predator. All right, let's recap these picks before I get into my Doctor Strange review here. At number five, Devon had The Collector from 2009, Baby Driver at number four, Push at number three, number two was Fast Five, and his number one pick was the magician heist movie Now You See Me. And mine, I had uh, 2001's David Mamet film Heist at number five. Number four was Wes Anderson's Bottle Rocket. At number three, 1972's The Doberman Gang. At number two, The Hot Rock, also from 1972. And my number one heist movie of all time, 1955's Rafifi. Now let's talk Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Every night... I dream the same dream. Then... The nightmare begins. I did what I had to do. To protect our world. You cannot control everything, Strange. Universes, and we don't know who or what will walk through it. Wanda, what do you know about the multiverse? Viz had his theories. He believed it was dangerous. He was right. America Chavez is a teenager with the ability to traverse the multiverse. She becomes the target of the Scarlet Witch who wants to absorb her powers in order to travel to a universe where her kids are real. It's fun for me to watch a film and think, what could I have done here when you see filmmakers kind of write themselves into a corner? On one hand, you have Doctor Strange and Wong, two people who control magic and for all intents and purposes are the most powerful magicians in the Marvel Universe called the 616. On the other hand, you have Wanda, the Scarlet Witch, the most powerful witch in the 616. So as a screenwriter, what do you do with this? Unfortunately, in the case of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, the writers decided to go a familiar route, making these all-powerful characters selectively use their powers only when it's convenient for the plot. Take Wanda in just one example. She finds herself going up against the all-powerful Illuminati, comprised of Universe 838's Reed Richards, Captain Marvel, Black Bolt, and Peggy Carter. From the onset, she gains the upper hand, making Black Bolt's mouth disappear in a horrifying and frankly awesome scene that sees him blow his own brain out in panic. From this point on, we know that Scarlet Witch can simply erase body parts. So why not just do that to everybody? Hey Reed Richards, now you have no brain. Doctor Strange, I'll go ahead and make your heart disappear. Instead, she does the typical, now I'm going to fight the rest of you with my Red Bolt hands move because, well movie. And don't even get me started on the travesty that Wong is in this movie. The Sorcerer Supreme, a man who can teleport unless the movie puts a stupid anti-magic rule in place on one mountain, because if they didn't, he wouldn't be stuck on a ledge for the better part of an hour, even though others do use magic on that same mountain later on in the movie. He warns of the power of the Darkhold, being combined with the powers of America Chavez, and says that if the Scarlet Witch had both, 
she could enslave the entire universe, but then gives up exactly where the Darkhold is after she threatens four of his low-level soldiers. It was a pathetic moment, which is made even more awful after, later in the film, he suggests that Doctor Strange kill America Chavez by taking her powers because, in his words, it's the only way. Fuck you, Wong. If you need to have Wong give that information up, make him do it in a really strong way. Allow her to kill the four unnamed soldiers and then allow her to have a battle of minds with him that she, after a large-scale struggle, wins. He just gave the fate of the universe up for the lives of four seasonal hires. America Chavez is also a weak point in this film. She's just not that interesting. The angsty teenage character has already been done in a much better way with the Spider-Man franchise. And the fact that she doesn't know how to control her power until a short pep talk is ridiculous in a conversation that basically comes down to, I can't do it. And zombie Doctor Strange says, yes, you can. And she's like, oh yeah, I guess I can. <laughs> in the fight with music notes, my God, it might be one of the worst things I've seen in a Marvel film yet. You want a good way to end this film? You instead have America Chavez bring the 838 Scarlet Witch into the 616 and reveal the evil witch's desire to kill her and take over as the mother of her children. At which point, the good Wanda rips the evil version in half. That's how you end this threat. That's how a Wanda looking to protect her children would act. There are two aspects to this film I enjoyed. I know it sounds like I'm shitting on it because it's a bad movie, but there are two aspects I liked. I liked the Illuminati moment. Uh, I thought there was cool reveals in both the characters and the actors. I loved that Reed Richards was arrogant to the point of stupidity and that totally fits his character. I also really liked the horror aspects in the film. I had no idea that Sam Raimi was the director of this. I went in completely blind. And uh, this is the scariest Marvel film to date. Has nods to several horror franchises from Frankenstein to The Ring. It's got a great slasher moment in these sewer or like tunnels. It's got some horrifying imagery and several deaths that with a drop of blood could have easily been rated R. Kind of reminded me of The Boys. I'm wondering what Sam Raimi, director of the Evil Dead franchise, ended up cutting out. And I hope we get to see an unrated cut. But even then, honestly, I might just fast forward through the rest of the movie to get to the new stuff. Because like I said, I did not like this film. With all of the fantastic possibilities of a multiverse, we got saddled with this cold CGI mess that, yet again, puts the fate of humanity in the grip of people who just use their unlimited power when it's convenient. With so many interesting settings that we could have ended up in, how did this film feel so bland? There's a better story to be told here, and on top of that, Danny Elfman, of all people, mailed in a forgettable and at times laughable score. In The Stinger, we see Clea introduced as she brings Doctor Strange into the dark dimension, but to be honest, I really don't care where they're going. So that's the show. Was there a heist movie that was not mentioned that you think is awesome that we need to know about? Let me know on social media, at Force5Pod on Twitter, at Force5Podcast on Instagram, or at the Cinematics Facebook page, and your comment might just make it to the show. If you liked what you heard, please, I'm going to beg you, review the show. Review the show wherever you listen to your podcast. It only takes you a couple minutes, and uh, it really helps me out. Review it on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, Spotify, wherever. And, of course, tell your friends to listen, too, and they can become listeners with us. The Top 5 List Bumper was produced by me with music from Audio Binger. Intro and outro bumpers today come courtesy of Nate Spears. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, don't go watch Doctor Strange. Instead, watch some really awesome heist movies. Hi everyone, I'm Lisa. And I'm Nick. 
And we host a podcast called It Takes Two. Where we take two movies with the same plot or premise and watch and review them. Usually they'll be twin films that were released within a year of each other, but sometimes we'll find some more unusual pairings that you might not think are the same film, but we will argue that they are. Every episode contains massive, massive spoilers. You can find us on any podcatcher or on our website at ittakes2.co.nz. So come along and check out our podcast if you like rambling and IMDB trivia. Or if you like hearing our weird accents and our weird voices. That no auto-translate can figure out what we're saying. Yeah, hopefully you can. And we hope that you listen to us soon.